Good morning, everybody. This morning, we're going to be going through Psalm 67 and 68. 68 is a very long one. We'll see how far we get. I think we can get through it, though. And this go over a couple things that are going on here this week. Uh, baptisms are today at 1.30 at Mazingo Beach. I probably said 2 at some point, but I think 1.30 works better for everybody. So it's now 1.30 is when we're going to be at the Mazingo Beach. So please join us for that. Hold on, i got to turn off my notifications. I thought I did that already, but I didn't. Next is the conference that's going on uh, September 22nd, 24th down in Calvary, Chapel St. Joe. It's at the Grace Calvary Chapel down there. Guys from California will be coming out to teach and share, and everybody's invited to come. You register online, um, and then go ahead and sign your name uh, on the sheet if you plan on going down so we can see that uh, you're attending, uh, and we can maybe work out rides or something like that. So um, that's coming up here. The next one is Life Chain, October 2nd. That's always the first Sunday of October um, from 2 to 3 p.m. Uh, we've been doing it, Jenny and I have been doing it for, geez, 25, 30 years, and this church has been doing it since it started. And uh, um, But you go out and you get there about 15 minutes early at the Nottoway County Courthouse. We get our signs and we stand in silent protest against abortion. Um, you can pick which sign you want. It's just a prayer time. There may be interactions, but you don't interact. We just sit there quietly and pray and they do what they do and we do what we do. Um, but uh, I'll be opening with prayer and then uh, we'll get the signs. And it's for all the churches in the community. Some show up, most don't. Um, we end up being 50% of the crowd there. So um, just not an issue for them, I guess. Um, but it is for us. So that's coming up October 2nd from 2 to 3 p.m. If you can come out for that, that'd be great. Appreciate it. Harvest party, October 31st, 4 p.m. to 9 p.m. Um, just no evil costumes. We're trying to steer clear of the Halloween-y thing and give kids an alternative to uh, celebrating evil. We want to do something um, that glorifies God. Um, bring cakes for the cakewalk if you want to, and uh, there's a sign-up sheet in the back for any kind of help you want to offer for that night. It takes a lot of hands to make, a, make it a blessing for these kids. So those are the things coming up uh, shortly anyway, pretty soon. All right, now let's get back into our text here. If I can get out of that and into this and my notes, there we are. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. The songs we sang um, prepare our hearts, but also are the reason we're here is to worship you. And so we do. We worship you with our voices and with our hearts. Our minds are committed and focused on you right now. Keep us from distractions and from our minds wandering. Help us to stay focused on your word this morning. And we pray that you be our teacher and our guide, that your Holy Spirit um, would show us and encourage us and uh, just build us up today. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 67 is considered a doxology, a blessing for the people as you uh, you've probably heard the Lord bless you, Lord keep you, you know, make his face shine upon thee. That's kind of where one of those. And um, so the psalmist wants to bless the people, and that's part of singing. Most of the songs that we sing are to God, and some people have a problem when we sing songs that aren't necessarily directed towards him, but might be directed towards each other or towards our walk with the Lord or relationship. But um, it isn't uncommon to uh, sing a doxology, uh, which is really directed towards people. So um, anyway, here it is. Verse 1, God be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. And then he switches to, to focusing on the Lord, that your way may be known on the earth, uh, your salvation among all nations. 
What we notice right away is there's three things that he's asking for in that first verse is for God to be merciful, for God to bless us, and for his face to shine upon us. And that's very important. It's not self-serving because of the second verse that states it so that the world might know that you're there, that you're a blessing. See, I want my life to be blessed. It's not that I want to be rich or I want to have this, that, or the other thing to make my life easier, but I want my life to be blessed so that the world sees what it's like to walk with the Lord. I mean, that's the point. Um, And so that's all the writer is saying is that I want the whole world to know. And this is a very important subject. Christianity isn't just, and I know this isn't Christian yet, but it is. The whole Bible is Christian. Um, The whole world needs this God. There aren't other options, you know. One of the things that I find in, in, in my own version of apologetics I don't know if there's a version or not, but my own way of doing it is, first of all, just to get rid of the heresy that's in churches. You know, it's like we need to start there. And the, one of the most important things you can do is to discuss with other Christians. You do know what it means when you say you're a Christian. There is a definition. It isn't open to a lot of interpretation. And one of those understandings of Christianity is that there is no other way to heaven. For you to say that you're a Christian is to say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that no man comes to the Father but by him. You can't say, I mean, you can, obviously, but you're not right, to say, I'm a Christian and believe there's other ways to heaven. There aren't. That's a fact. Christianity uh, demands that Jesus is the way. Okay, so it, that's fine. You can say that, but you're, you're, you're not telling the truth. Um, and, and it's not that I'm trying to get people to change their doctrine. You're free to believe whatever you want to believe. Everybody is. Um, God doesn't stop us from believing. That's like crime. I mean, we have laws and rules. There's different consequences for what you do each day, but you're free to do whatever you want to do. Some of them may end you up in jail. Um, others are going to end up on the, on, on, the, on, on the right side of the bars, you know, kind of thing. Um, you can believe what you want to believe in this world, but there are going to be different consequences based off of what you believe. So to say that you're a Christian, that you believe there are other gods and other ways, well, you're not. You're not a Christian. Um, that's just a fact. Um, you can't believe in Jesus and other ways. Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. And so it's important to define that for people to help them understand, then I probably shouldn't be claiming I'm a Christian. I probably shouldn't be claiming that we're a church of Jesus Christ in this world, you know, one corner of his pasture, if I don't believe that Jesus is the way of salvation. Okay, so that's a very important thing. God, be merciful and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. That's the point. We want the whole world to come to know Jesus Christ and him crucified. Um, Verse three, let the people praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Then the earth shall yield her increase. God, our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. And all the ends of the earth shall fear him. Now, it's probably much more poetic and beautiful when you're singing it versus me reading the lyrics, you know, kind of thing. But we get the idea of the the heart. Um, In Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6, He says this about being a light to the Gentiles. In other words, this psalm is not just for the Hebrew folks. It's not just for Israel. It's for the whole world. Isaiah, the prophet, explains, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness 
and will uphold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. Remember that and always understand that Israel was chosen to be a light to the Gentiles. God wants everybody on the earth saved, not just Israel. He wants us all saved. And so that's what this doxology comes from, and that's what Isaiah states in Acts chapter 13, 47, moving into the New Testament. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. So this is a common theme throughout Scripture, and that's what I'm trying to take you all the way through. And then finally in Revelation 5, 9, and they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Jesus is for the world. Jesus is the way of salvation for the world. And out of every tribe and every nation and every tongue, he pulls people and saves people who trust in him. That's to say those that didn't trust in him don't get pulled out. So it's a very clear understanding. It's a very good doctrine to hold and to understand through scripture as a Christian that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. There is no other way. Um, he is uh, open to all but exclusive. In other words, he is the only way. So, um, And that's what Psalm 67 discusses. Now here's the longer Psalm, Psalm 68. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered And let those also who hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yes, let them rejoice exceedingly. Right away, the psalmist puts us on God's team when we sing this song. I think we can misunderstand and think that it's all of us poor slobs, people trying to, you know, work our way into heaven and try to, you know, appease this angry God. And maybe we don't say that out loud, but there's an awful lot of compassion for those who hate God on our part. As a believer in Jesus Christ, there's an awful lot of compassion for these haters of God. And you can see here in Psalms, he doesn't really pull any punches. As a lover of God, it says, you know what? I hope your enemies are scattered, God, because I'm on your team. I've discovered who you are. I know that you're for us and, and not against us, that you love us with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, that you think about us and your thoughts towards us are precious. And those that don't appreciate that, well, I don't appreciate them, is what the psalmist is writing. And that's okay to understand that in your relationship with Christ. Of course, we want to get the lost saved, but it has to be the way, the way of explaining that who God is to them. Now, if they come and say, well, I just hate God for this and I hate God for that. I'm not going to say, well, yeah, I can kind of understand that. I, I kind of hate God about those things too. No, 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 you don't understand. And I'm going to explain to you the best I can. But if this goes much further and you keep rejecting this gospel, then what I'm giving you are pearls before swine, and we fall into this category where we sing this portion of the song. It's okay. I don't have to feel guilty about being upset with people who hate God. I want them saved, but I also want God to do what he does. I want him to be just. I want him to be righteous. I don't want him to be any less than he is. Perfect. I want them to know Jesus, these enemies of God, but if they won't know him, then may God scatter them. As smoke is driven away, let the wicked perish. 
Let the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. I'm so happy that I have a relationship with God through his son Jesus. I'm so glad. I want everybody to have it. Here's a scripture maybe to hold on to to help explain. At the end of days, when the church is in heaven and the martyrs are being martyred during the great tribulation period, we have this section in Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Those who were martyred and they're under the throne. And here's what they say from heaven's perspective. Not, oh, take it easy, God. Don't lose your temper. Don't lose your cool. Can't you be more merciful and graceful you know, towards these people? Here's what they say. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw the altar and the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? That's heaven's perspective. That's what they say when they're up there. That's important. Okay? Um, Everybody wonders, I don't know how I could ever enjoy heaven knowing that people are in hell. I just don't know how I... There's an eyewitness testimony. I don't think that's really an issue. What our problem is then when we have those thoughts and those things cross our mind is we, we truly don't understand him and who he is in his nature. How, what pure and holy looks like. We may have an idea of a pure and holy God and he's just maybe 12 inches above our holiness. I think when we see him and like the seraphim and the cherubim and all that are circling him and crying out and they've been with him from the day of their creation... Holy, holy, holy. They're still stunned when they look at him. They're still absolutely jaw-dropped when they see him. And all they can say when they see the Father, when they see this beautiful God of ours, is holy, holy, holy. And we don't have that perspective because we've never been in his presence. We look in and see in a mirror dimly, you know, Paul says. But then face to face, and I think we'll have this opinion when we see him face to face. So when the psalmist here writes this, David writes this, he says, let God arise, let his enemies be scattered, and those also who hate him flee before him. David didn't want the whole world to burn, but he certainly wasn't opposed to the enemies of God burning. Come to know the Lord. Otherwise, sorry, you're out of here kind of thing. I think this is an important perspective for us to have. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds by his name, Yah, and rejoice before him. That you never heard the shortened version of that. Yahweh, we always say Yahweh or or whatever, Yeshua. But the short is Yah. You know, I heard a song one time. Who was that? Um, Old school. Kind of neo-punk. Can you guys think? I'm looking at the young people. I know you old people have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, but we played it for the youth group, and, and they'd say the word Yah, and I'm like, I don't know about that, Yah, you know, it's kind of, well, there it is in the Bible. What do I know? Apparently, they knew the scriptures better than I did at the time, and here I was judging their lyrics, and I'm like, oh, wait, Yah's a word, so we can call him Yah, you know? Um, who was that? Aaron, I'm looking at you, any of you people. Golly sakes. I'll think of it right at the end, and then I'll blurt it out, and you know, I'll be like, okay, whatever. That's a shortened version. David loves Israel and loves people. That's why he did what he did. But he showed his love for God by loving people. His love for God was far more important than his love for people. 
His love for people came secondary, okay? And I'm not saying you should ever have to choose between those two things, but when you write a song like this and you state, state the things that you believe, this is important for us to know what's appropriate for us. Because sometimes we get confronted I have this beautiful relationship with God, and everybody I know and love has a beautiful relationship with God until one decides to walk away in sin and do something completely contrary to God's word, something we've taught them not to do or whatever. And our tendency then is to say, but I, I sure love them. And we start moving away from God and towards this person as opposed to standing firm. David does that with Absalom. He's got a rebellious son who's not doing what he's supposed to do. We have the same problem with with, uh, Samuel. Or was it Eli? Eli that fell back on his chair because his sons were terrible priests. We have that tendency to, it's fine as long as everybody, but when when, when the sinner begins to sin and we begin to move towards the sinner and start saying, well, you know, that's okay. I don't know if it's such sin after all. And Maybe I was too harsh and too, too judgmental, so maybe sin's okay after all. I want you to notice what's happening. I'm moving away from God. David never, ever, ever moves away from the Lord in this psalm anyway, and that's the point. If someone I love begins to fall into sin, of course I'm brokenhearted, but I will not leave and abandon my walk with Jesus Christ for their sake. They need to come back. The prodigal, the prodigal son leaves the father, but the, product, the father of the prodigal son stays put. And so does the son, the older son. Now, he's got his own issues, and we can talk about them in a different sermon, but they stay put. It's the prodigal son's responsibility to return, not for me, okay? not for God. This is where the blessing is. And what I mean is it doesn't mean that you don't leave the 99 to go find the one. I, I know that that probably came up in your mind. No, no, no. If I leave the 99 to go find the one, it's to bring them back to that place. God's blessing is within Scripture. God's blessing is within the obedience to God's Word. There is no blessing outside of the obedience to God's Word, and that's what I'm talking about. When we try to say, well, that's okay. It's not sin after all. We don't care. We're going to move away from God's Word and say, this is blessed. You can't do that. You can't do that. Sing to God, sing praises to His name. Extol Him who rides in the clouds by His name, Yah, and rejoice for him. A father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. David writes some of the beautiful things that God does for people on this earth. He finds the orphans out there and and provides fathers for them, sometimes just surrogates, you know, I never had a good father. I bet you have some pretty good fathers around you if you just acknowledge them. I never had a really good mother. You know, I bet God has provided a godly example of a mother. If you'll accept it, if you'll take it, it's there. He also takes care of the widows. Where's my husband? I don't know how I'm going to take care of my... I'll, I've got you. I will take care of you. I'll, provide, I'll be your husband, you know, is the idea. We think of Anna waiting for the Messiah to come at Jesus' birth, you know sitting there on the steps, attending to the needs, doing what she did. She served her, she served her husband. She served her God. Um, beautiful picture of that. In James chapter 1, verses 26 through 27, James in the New Testament says, If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. In other words, if you can't hold your mouth and you can't stop being a 
talebearer or a gossip, your religion isn't of much value to anybody at that point. It's, it's worthless. It's useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. That's true religion right there. That's not the only thing he wants us to do. You can't take this one verse, and people do, and say, well, here's what it is. Here's what we do. Here's the list we've been waiting for. These three things, we're going to do these things. No, these are wonderful things to do. And the reason they are is because that's God's heart. My job as a Christian is to find out what is God's heart and to mimic that and to do that in my life. That's what it is. If he loves widows and orphans, then I love widows and orphans. That's how I bless him. That's how I worship him. That's how David takes care of the the kingdom. I'm fine watching sheep out here. Yeah, I got a bigger job for you. Anoints him with oil and says, I want you to watch a much bigger flock. It's called the nation of Israel. David says, okay, if that's what it means to worship you in my life, then I will be the king of Israel. But he's also content watching a flock of sheep for his dad as his worship to God. It makes no difference as long as he's doing what God wants him to do. And so we see David um, excited for this and saying, you know what, taking care of fa- the fatherless, the defender of widows. And he did. He really did take care of people that way. He was a great king. Oh God, when you went out, verse 7, before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, the earth shook. The heavens also dropped rain at the presence of God. Uh, Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the God of Israel. You, oh God, sent a plentiful rain, whereby you confirmed your inheritance when it was weary. Your congregation dwelt in it. You, O God, provided from your goodness for the poor. That rain. We had a wedding yesterday. And that's, of course, a bride's, I don't know if it's a biggest fear or not, but if if it's an outdoor wedding, you're a little concerned, you know, about rain. Of all the days it could rain, you know, they have my wedding, you know. And it just poured yesterday and poured and poured. It was an inside wedding, so it was okay. Um, But a lot, there's a lot of superstition around that, you know, Superstitious for people that just aren't sure. They just they don't have a solid basis for belief in anything. And so they're full of superstition. Don't walk under a ladder, watch for black cats, and all you know, don't step on a crack and all these funny things. And one of them is if it rains on your wedding day, oh, you know, the doomed marriage. What? You know? Are you a Christian? <laughs> Where is that? What are you talking about? You know? Oh, it's not supposed to, and, she, and she wasn't. She was fine with it. You know, she's like, oh, that's okay. Sun came out right on time. And I used it in the wedding because this, this was coming up. You know, I've been studying and thinking about this. God's latter rain is such a blessing. When you live in a desert, no one's complaining about rain on their wedding day. You know, they're like, this is God's anointing. This is God's blessing showering down upon our wedding. This is a beautiful thing. You know, let's dance around in the rain. I mean, this is wonderful. Rain is life-giving and amazing and everything well, now I've got to mow, but, you know, there's, there's some drawbacks to it. But it's a beautiful thing. That latter rain is talked about so many times in Scripture. I had no idea until I did a word search on that. I'm studying, and I, the rain, rain came up. I thought, oh, latter rain. It's like 50 verses on latter rains. Because it always represented God's special blessing upon the land. And so when he talks about this rain being dropped from God, it's his approval. It's the way he supplies. It's a plentiful rain to confirm your inheritance. And the land is weary, and here comes the rain. And oh, you know, this beautiful thing. Let me read you a couple verses that talk about the latter rain. Deuteronomy eleven fourteen. Then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, 
the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain your new wine and your oil. It's a promise from God. God always gave the first rain, it seemed like. There were droughts. Don't misunderstand me. There were those moments where God dried it all up. But for the most part, he gave at least the first portion of rain, but the second portion was a special blessing you know, kind of thing. And he promises that when you're obedient to me, when you're walking with me, I will provide for your needs, but I'll give you that latter rain too. And there's this extra something, you know, just to make everything plump up at the right time, you know, uh, for the seeds to get all that they can get out of it and, you know, mature to their fullest potential. God says, I'll do that for you. I'll do that for you. That's something that stuck with me, that maturing to its, to its fullest potential. Yes, you'll mature. Yes, as a Christian, you can become, you know, somewhat of a dehydrated corn thing, you know, but I want the latter rain from God. I want God to pour into my life. I want God to give me, not give me in the sense that I want him to, to fill me and use me to the full, what is the full potential of J.D. Dirks? I want to know, and I want to make myself available to him to do that, whatever, whatever he wants to do. And so I want that latter rain, and there are some things that you do for latter rain, you know, there's some things you need to do in your life to walk with God. It isn't, it doesn't just happen to you. You know, I know that God does the work and the battle belongs to the Lord. And there's a lot of scriptures, but to, to maybe, I hate to bring sports into it, but you can't sit on the bench during practice and expect to play well at the game. You can't. You can't not go to the gym and expect to, be, expect to be strong. You can't not run miles and miles and miles in preparation for um, what, what an amazing thing for that young kid on, on, on the Chiefs. I watched that Thursday night game. I was so happy for him. He's just this rookie kid, you know, and he was on defense and he caught an interception at the one yard line and ran it back for 99 yards. And he was just holding that ball. Like even Patrick Mahomes came up to him and says, well done. He says, I'm not looking, to, I'm keeping this ball, you know. He was so excited. That kid put in the work, though. Can you imagine sprinting 99 yards? I'm thinking 10 would be enough for me at my age, you know? Hours and hours, a lifetime so far of practice and preparation and training and film and all the things that kid put into it for that one moment. What a wonderful moment for him, you know? Look, as Christians, there's things we can do. I can study the word of God. I can know it. Study to show yourself approved. Spend time in prayer. Even Jesus rebuked the disciples for that. We can't cast these demons out. These kind only come out by prayer and fasting. Have you done that? No. There's things you got to do. There's things you can do to let God do what he wants to do with you completely. If you go halfway with him, halfway, you know. Um, Anyway. The writer here states that latter rain. Jeremiah 3.3, Therefore, the showers have been withheld, and there has been no latter rain. You have had the harlot's forehead and refused to be ashamed. In other words, Jeremiah writes to the nation of Israel, you're you're in sin and you won't repent. You won't turn from it. You have a harlot's forehead. I don't know what that means, but apparently there's a forehead that, you know, harlots had back then. You know, their hair was... Who knows? I don't know what it is. But you are identified with it. You walk around with pride, you know, in that way. And I've withheld the latter rain. I didn't withhold all the rain, but I've withheld that latter rain. It's a problem. You can't walk in sin and expect the full blessing of God. James 5. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits 
for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also must be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Beautiful, beautiful pictures, that latter rain. Verse 11, the Lord gave the word. Great was the company of those who proclaimed it. And here it was. Kings of armies flee, they flee. And she who remains at home divides the spoil. Though you lie down among the sheepfolds, you will be like the wings of a dove covered with silver and her feathers with yellow gold. When the Almighty scattered kings in it, it was white as snow as Zalman. A mountain of God is the mountain of Bashan. A mountain of many peaks is the mountain of Bashan. Why do you fume with envy, you mountains of many peaks? This is the mountain which God desires to dwell in. Yes, the Lord will dwell in it forever. Now, what's he talking about there? Well, God chose Mount Zion. That's it. That's his place. And it's not the greatest mountain over there is the idea. It's the mountains and the hills of Bashan are far and above better and more majestic um, in the world's eyes as far as um, just beauty and appearance and height, you know, altitude. Um, but God didn't pick that. He picked Zion. Now, I don't want to spiritualize it too much, but I kind of like it when God picks the underdog or the little guy or the, you know, throughout Scripture, he's just known for that, you know. I was thinking of um, um, Gideon, you know, uh, at the threshing floor down in the valley, you know, kind of hide out and make sure that no one steals his grain. And so he's doing it at night and he's doing it. And God shows up and says, what are you doing there, mighty man of valor? Almost tug in cheek, you know. You know, not saying coward, but, you know, he's, well, I'm doing what I got to do so we keep the grain. And he's complaining a little bit. And God says, you know, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you because, and I don't mean to belittle him, but I want to use someone that's very unlikely to be used. And if you'll listen to me, and if you'll let me do this, be the strength, and you'll let me be the all in all in this battle, and to get all the glory, I'll use you in this battle. But okay. And he gets too many guys, and God whittles it down to finally 300. And he divides them up into three groups. They don't even carry swords. Just lamps and horns and jars is all they have, you know. And uh, at the right moment, they break their jars and put out their lights, and they scream as loud as they can, and they blow their horns, and the enemy just runs before them, you know. Can you imagine winning a battle like that, you know? God likes to use us. He wants to use us. And we're kind of Zionish, you know, in a way. We're not the greatest, maybe not the tallest. We're not the highest peaks. But if God chooses us and wants to use us, well, then that is the honor. That in itself, not in our own beauty and our own strength and our own stature, but um, just because God chose us. So it's a blessing. Verse 17, the chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of thousands. The Lord is among them as in Sinai, in the holy place. You have ascended on high. You have led captivity captive. You have received gifts among men, even from the rebellious, that the Lord God might dwell there. Now, that's a scripture that we've heard before. It's a quote that Paul gives in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8. And he's describing what Christ did when he descended into hell for three days and led captivity captive. I'll read the verse to you. It's Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 9. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. 
Now this, he ascended. What does he mean by that? Except that he first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended also uh, the one who ascended far above that, all the heavens that he might um, fulfill all things. So um, the writer there is just using this as a, prof- a prophetic um, you know, scripture about Jesus when he died on the cross. What happened? Where was he for three days? Well, he descended into hell. And on the third day, he rose again and ascended. But when he did, he led captivity captive. Um, and you can read, I think it's Luke uh, 16 or 11. I can't remember which. I think it's 16 that describes that. So the wonderful little verse here that the psalmist writes, probably not even knowing that it's a prophecy. Um, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But Paul certainly recognized it and used it. So verse 21, but God will wound the head of his enemies the hairy scalp of the one who still goes on in his trespasses. The Lord said, I will bring back from Bashan. I will bring them back from the depths of the sea that your foot may crush them in blood and the tongues of your dogs may have their portion from your enemies. Ew. Rough, you know. David just, he was a different guy. He really was. And I don't want him to be so different from me. I don't know that he was a gory guy or a bloodthirsty guy. Um, He did have a lot of blood on his hands to the point where God says, you can't build my temple, but your son Solomon can. You've got a lot of blood on your hands. Not that it was wrong, but he says, I don't want it to be known as a place of blood. I want it to be known as a place of peace. And therefore, Solomon was able to do that. Um, But David was a man after God's own heart. And our God, don't forget that although he is the prince of peace, he's also a God of war. And that's according to Moses. He recognized that, wrote a song about it. Our God, our Lord, our God is a God of war. And he's a war against evil. He's a war against the darkness. I mean, that's what Jesus did when he died on the cross. That was a war. It was a battle. And he won. Um, and so when David writes things like this, and it's a little graphic and, and, and all, a little um, detailed, but it's in his heart, I I, I want you to win, God. I want evil to be completely crushed. I don't want to have any fellowship with it. Um, I think Joshua was the same way. I would, I would say Caleb was the same way. You know, We walk into the land and there were giants in the land, but he, they didn't come back and say we can make treaties with them and work something out. He says, I think we can take them is the idea. I think we can defeat them. Goliath wasn't someone that needed to be talked to or encouraged to join the other team. He says, no, I think I can take him out with a few rocks, you know, kind of thing. The idea is our evil in our lives, the sin in our lives, the stench of this world needs to be defeated. We don't need to come to agreement with it. And I think that's where the church maybe is making its biggest mistake, is they're trying to find common ground diplomatically to allow sin in the church. And that's not what we're called to do. This mentality needs to be there. This heart needs to be there. I hate sin in your life, but I hate sin in my life. I don't think I can make that distinct. I can't separate that. You know, If I hate it, it needs to be hated. God hates it. I hate what God hates. God loves it. I love what God loves. Very important. It isn't evil. It isn't unloving to hate sin that's killing people. That's the most loving thing you can do is to hate something that's killing people. So... He gets descriptive here. I hope your dogs get their blood. They get to lick the enemy when they're dead. They have seen your procession, O God. 
procession of my God, my King, into the sanctuary. The singers went before, the players on instruments followed after. Among them were the maidens playing the timbrels. God, or bless God in the congregations, the Lord from the fountain of Israel. There's a little Benjamin, or there is little Benjamin, their leader, the princess, the princess of Judah and their company, the princes of Zebulon and the princes of Naphtali. He goes through a few of the of the groups, you know, of the, of the tribes. Your God has commanded your strength. Strengthen, O God, what you have done for us. I think that's interesting. I'm excited for what God's done in my life, but then my prayer needs to be strengthen me further in these things. I'm not content with that, you know. Uh, I want gains, you know. If you're bench pressing, you know what I mean. You know, you want to you want to do what you do on your daily routine, then you want to max out once in a while, but you want gains for the most part. Um, I want to get, in, I want to increase in strength, and I want to increase in speed, um, these kind of things. I don't know why sports is on the mind all of a sudden, but there it is. Um, spiritually speaking, I want, to, I, want to, I want gains. You know, I don't want to plateau. I saw someone yesterday post, I'm so glad I didn't peak in high school. I had to think about that. What do you mean by peak? Oh, that was their heyday. I mean, that was it. It's been downhill ever since high school. I was the quarterback. I was the prom king. And ever since then, well, I haven't been, you know, kind of thing. And I'm like, oh, yeah. See, I don't want to peak. I don't want to peak till I get to heaven. I want to get there. I want to continue to have gains spiritually. Um, and it takes effort. It takes time. And it takes devotion. It takes honesty with myself. You know, I think that's the hardest thing is to be honest. I, I think I'm great. I really do. And then I look a little closer at the mirror, and it's like there's problems, you know, and there are issues that I don't like to focus on so much. But I don't want to, you know, I, I don't need to. I don't need to have a, a, a poor self-image of everything. I mean, there are some things that are great, and I want I want to gain in those areas too. But I also know there's places I got to work too, and may God do that. We want to peak when we get to heaven. So he says, um, because of your temple at Jerusalem, kings will bring presents to you. Rebuke the beasts of the reeds, the herd of bulls with the calves of the people till everyone submits himself with pieces of silver. Scatter the people who delight in war. Okay, I want to pause there for a minute because I wasn't sure what this meant. I still don't know what it means. I looked it up the best I can. But when do you ever put calves with bulls? Unless there are other bulls? Does anybody have any insight for that? I'm, I'm truly asking you because I'm trying to figure out what he's trying to bring across here. Rebuke the beasts of the reeds. Obviously, you don't want whatever's in the reeds, alligators, crocodiles. I don't know what they had back there. Or hippopotamus or whatever, the deadliest animal on earth. You know, uh, Rebuke those things, but also the herd of bulls with the calves of the people. Anybody? Would you ever put a calf with a bull? I mean, unless they're a, another bull, you want to get, like you told me, put my, if you don't know, Rod and I are talking right now. Um, but he, you guys are helping me with my cattle, and I'm trying to figure things out, and I've got this bottle-fed bull. Um, we're going to leave him intact, and, and we're going to put leave him a bull. And I was like, when do I, you know, um, introduce him to the other boys, you know, kind of thing, the bigger boys. And he says, do it when you wean him, you know, but then put him in there and then they'll have a little tussle like a dad with a son. And then they'll know they're 
pecking order right away as opposed to putting him in there with two men as two men and that's the kind of battle you don't want to see so put him in early kind of okay that's the point i don't know what he means by this i mean there's something there when do you ever put calves with bulls unless it's a really bad idea and there's a lot of turmoil because you did that maybe the mama cows are going crazy i don't know what uh, so none of you know is that right okay good i don't feel so bad after all um I have to do some research on that, but I don't know. Whatever it is, you don't want to do it because he says, I, 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 I want that change. Rebuke that and rebuke this. So it needs to be rebuked, whatever it is. And the idea is just this war. There must be a war that takes place in these, in these situations that they knew about and we're not so quite sure. Verse 31, envoys will come out of Egypt. Ethiopia will quickly stretch out her hands to God um, in other words, all these nations are going to begin to submit and bring uh, tributes and, um, and, and understand. So Egypt and Ethiopia will be submitted. Uh, sing to God, you kingdoms of the earth. Not just Israel, but all the kingdoms of the earth. He wants them all. Oh, sing praises to the Lord, to him who rides on the heaven of heavens, which were of old. Indeed, he sends out his voice, a mighty voice, um, ascribe, uh, ascribe strength to God, his excellence is over Israel, and his strength is in the clouds. O oh God, you are more awesome than your holy places. The God of Israel is he who gives strength and power to his people. Blessed be God. That's where we close today. That beautiful psalm of just how awesome he is and, and a lot of emotion in it. You know, A lot of pictures of what this writer wants to see and has probably witnessed um, God defeating enemies, scattering those who love war. David didn't love war. He just had to participate in it. David wasn't interested in war more than anybody else on the earth. He just was good at it, did what God wanted him to do when he called him to do it. And so um, I think we're all looking forward to peace. I think we're all looking forward to Jesus Christ ruling and reigning on earth and all the kingdoms giving him the praise that he's due and never having to street witness again and never having to lead people to the Lord again because there we are. Everybody's looking forward to that, including this writer here. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for our hope that we have in you. For now, we do battle. For now, we do strengthen ourselves and stay close to you um, and um, are hoping to grow in our relationship with you and in our own stability, um, that we might be even um, powerful warriors for you, God, your power, but available for you to use, just making ourselves submitted to you, ready to go as a, as a servant is. We desire that. And so whatever the mirror of your word has shown us this morning, as we looked at ourselves, Lord, we want to change. The things that you showed in, us, in our lives that need to go or need to improve Lord, we accept that. We receive that. And um, we do pray for, for change in our lives. Strengthen those things that are already strong, but also help us in those weak spots, Lord. That we wouldn't be blind to them and that we wouldn't, um, we wouldn't uh, well, ignore them or pretend like they don't exist. But we would acknowledge them and let you do what you need to do in those weak areas, God. We stand closer to you this morning than we do to our sin or to those um, who hate you. We want to be a blessing. We want to show mercy and grace to them, but only if they'll receive it, only if they want it. That's what we want to give to them. We pray for changed hearts. We pray for this world to come to know you, that you'd lead many to you, and that we'd be a part of that, and we'd be those 
testimonies that people would see, see the blessing in our lives and want that blessing, that they'd see the rain that everybody gets, but that latter rain also, they, that we might make them thirsty for you, God. That's the only reason we want any blessings from you, as we sang and also read, that the world might know who is the, the giver. That's what we want. So God, will you be glorified in our lives? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Love to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week. Or come back at 1.30 at Mazingo and support the folks getting baptized.